You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what a delight to see you folks again and be with you. I always cherish these moments with you guys. I had a wonderful time with the guys. Uh, you know, and looking them over, I realized, ladies, you could have done better. <laughs> but they were <laughs> tremendous amount of fun just to be with. Now, let's dig in because uh, I, I got to... I want to really basically take you to Joshua chapter 1, but I'm going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The children of Israel, you know, did 40 years of wandering out in the wilderness. I don't know if you've ever wandered in a wilderness for 40 years or not, but it couldn't have been the most pleasant time in the world, as you know. They didn't have to. They could have been in that wilderness only a few weeks. But when it came to crossing over Jordan, there was more of Egypt in them than Israel. And they only saw themselves as grasshoppers in the sight of those giants over across the river. And they said, we're not going. And God says, okay, I will honor your choice. And he does that. He honors our choices. But he did not abandon them. He said, okay, then you will spend the rest of your lives, that generation, in the wilderness, and it will be your children who go in. But one of the important things is to make sure that that next generation is able to make the right kind of decision. So I take you to to, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we see some of the evidence of how that happened. Let me just start with uh, verse 3 of chapter 6. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now the next two verses are what is known among uh, especially Orthodox Jewish people as the great Shema. It was a creed that they, as a family, would say every morning. And what an incredible way to open up the day. Here is what that creed was. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Boy, what a thing to say every morning compared to what we usually say. Where's my socks? You know? <laughs> Same place we they always have been. Uh, why'd you burn the toast? You know? You're running late. Why don't you get up? You know, you know, those are the things we normally hear. Okay. In the morning. But what a great thing as a family to say this. Now I want to kick way ahead for just a moment here because it's going to tie in and you'll see it. Because in Matthew chapter 22, a Pharisee, uh, you know, one of the lawyers, uh, asked Jesus, what's the great commandment in the law? And Jesus quoted this. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And then he added one to it. And he said, the second one is just like it. In other words, is equal to it. And what is it? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa. But now let's go back to where we were and talk a little bit about how they got this kind of concept of loving God and recognizing Him for who He is in the hearts of their children. Here's what He told them to do. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Now, one of the ways to get them there is to make sure you kind of say it every day so you remember it. And He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Okay, that would be a new thing. That was not diligently taught prior to their exodus, you see. And you shall teach them, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Now, do any of you sit in your house? Okay, well, what do you do? Well, I'll watch television. <laughs> well, what they're saying is make that a time of God talk. See? And what does he say? Then when you walk by the way. Well, by the way, do any of you walk? Okay. Well, what are you supposed to do with that? Oh, well, I'm breathing hard because my doctor said I needed to get exercise. And so on. Actually, this is God talk time. My wife and I, you know, when I'm at home, we, we do take walks early in the morning because we just do, you know. And we make it a God talk time. We're constantly talking about what God has done in our lives and how grateful we are. But then he says, and when you lie down. Any of you ever lie down? <laughs> well, what do you do? It's God talk time. Oh, man, I've got to go to sleep first. No, it's God talk time first. And when you rise up. Any, any of you rise up this morning? Well, that's God talk time. Now, I have to tell you that you know, uh, I've had people make me feel pretty guilty over the fact that, uh, you know, we didn't, we weren't very good at our house with what you call family devotionals, you know. Uh, that's a specific time when you get together because it was just too chaotic around our house. But we knew that the Bible never really outlined what you were supposed to do, except we did have a family creed that we would say together. But we would talk about God. We made, we made God talk the whole day when we were driving along, which we frequently do. That's kind of the modern walking, by the way, isn't it? As a house, we would just talk about God and what He was doing. We used to be campers as a family, tent campers, and we loved to camp. You know, I'd, I'd be headed to different places in the summertime where I would be speaking at camps and retreats and the like, and we'd camp on the way to them. And we love to camp in national parks. The only problem with national parks is that they fill up by 11 a.m., and we were faithful to get there by 5 p.m. <laughs> but we would just, as a family, we, you know, we believe God wants us to, to camp there, so kids, let's pray. And we'd pray that God would open a campsite for us. And you know what? We camped constantly. We never got turned away from a national park. The sign would say campground full. We'd drive around it. <laughs> and find a place right there. Perfect. You know, and we'd jump out and occupy it. And the people next door would come over and say, man, we don't understand what was going on. There was some people here and they just about 10 minutes ago decided to leave. 
But this kind of thing went on. And, and once when I was calling home in my, uh, on a Saturday and, and I asked my wife, how's she doing? She said, well, I'm doing fine now. I had flu real bad this morning. I said, this morning? What happened? Well, I couldn't even get out of bed. And I yelled for the kids. And, and they were just, you know, real small to come up and lay hands on me and pray for me. And God healed me, you know. And I'm thinking, what a wonderful thing for God to do for my wife, but for him to do for my children at the same time. And, and this is kind of the way he's trying, I think, to let us know that life is to become a God-filled and a God-talk. And in fact, he goes on and he says this, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And I think maybe the modern form of that might be, you know, having the pins and the uh, hanging across around our neck and so forth. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Maybe this is authorizing us to have, I don't know, the kind of slogans that speak of God that you can buy in, in Christian bookstores and the like. I remember in my house as I was growing up, I'm third generation Christian, and my uh, grandfather, wonderful man of God, whom, uh, from, from whom I received a lot of my biblical training, and my father who was a preacher, and in our house, I can remember there was a plaque that said, Jesus Christ is the head of this house. The silent listener to every conversation, the unseen guest, at every meal. You see, I can remember that. He also had another one that I wasn't quite as happy with because I wasn't sure I fully agreed with it. But it simply said, Jesus Christ is here. Anything can happen. You know? <laughs> well, okay, maybe. <laughs> no, there are some things I don't think might. But at any rate, these were things that kept my mind on the presence of the Lord. And this is what he's talking about, to prepare that next generation for what they were going to be needing to do in crossing the Jordan. Now I take you to Joshua chapter 1. The time has come. In verse 10 of chapter 1, Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp, command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now, modern maps, which are inaccurate biblically, show Israel to be land west of the Jordan. But actually, there was more to Israel that God promised than that. It included the east side of the Jordan. He even promised them land all the way to the Tigris-Euphrates River. Now, consider that. I don't know how God's going to do it, but, I mean, if he can give them the land west, he can give them the land east. But the east side did not have the, the kind of warlike situations, and we find then something happening to the Reubenites, verse 12, the Gadites, and as Don McClure would say, the termites, <laughs> just to see if you were listening. And half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Now, this is the land east of the Jordan, for the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of Manasseh. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side. They're still on the east side of the Jordan. 
They were at rest. It was incredible. They had their land. They could possess it right then. But then we hear something that becomes extremely important in our discussion this morning. But you shall pass before your brethren armed all your mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise or the east side. In other words, okay, you, if you choose, can just sit here if you want to and enjoy the fact that you have rest here. However, you can't do that until your brothers have rest. So you send your mighty men of valor, your armed men with us across the Jordan so that you can help your brothers also find rest. Your job is not complete until your brothers find rest. Now, this is kind of a prophetic precursor, if you please, of what it means to be part of the church, the body of Christ. Now, you know, you can be completely well, not have one problem in your body, but get something in your eye. Just a little thingy. Are you going to rest? No. What part of your body will sleep that night? Oh, none of it. Oh. Smash your finger with a hammer. That's well, just a finger. Are you going to sleep that night? No. Do you realize, you see, that your whole body can't rest until it all is at rest? So here they have a responsibility for each other. They didn't cross the Jordan originally because they were only thinking about themselves. Now they cross the Jordan and they have to think about others. Very important thing. But let's keep reading here. So they answered, verse 16, Joshua saying, All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Now this is called obedience, right? And it's a necessary thing for us to then finally find rest. So they answered, uh, in answering Joshua, I, I love the fact that there was a little bit of nervousness in it. And so they said to Joshua, uh, only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And then they make it even more so. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Now, folks, that's pretty serious, isn't it? But you know what? If, one, if parts of your body do not help the rest of the body, uh, sometimes it ends up in death, doesn't it? It's just the way it works. That's why even concerning communion, Paul ends up saying that if, if we do not recognize the body of Christ, if we don't discern who our brothers and sisters are, he says, and that was what was happening in that Corinth church, he said, that's why some of you are weak, some of you are sick, some of you have even died. Because the body isn't taking care of itself, you see. So here's an incredible precursor to what Jesus would be teaching us. But now I take you. Oh, 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 one more thing, though. One more thing. 
they're still a little nervous. So they say to Joshua, only, only be strong and of good courage. You know, If you're not going to lead us with good courage and strength, we're, gonna, we're in trouble. You know? So I take you now to chapter 22. The war is over. Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh and said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren. Boy, isn't that great? You did it. You cared for your brothers. You didn't abandon them. You wanted them to have the kind of rest that you now have. And so you fought battles in their behalf, and you succeeded. Everyone is at rest now. He said, Therefore, return and go to your tents into the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God. See, this, this is the first thing to walk in all of his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him. Boy, I love that song, and I will follow hard after you, that, that Mary sang. And to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away. And they went to their tents. Now to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but that's on the west side of the Jordan. But the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them, spoke to them saying, return. Now there's an important thing. Return with much riches to your tents with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Now, see, I think the ladies were really happy about this because during the wilderness wanderings, even after the children of Israel had refused to go in, God did not abandon them. And, and he, uh, their, their clothes didn't wear out, you know, and I mean, you couldn't look at your closet and say, I don't have anything to wear because there's only one thing in there. And it didn't wear out. And your shoes didn't wear out. And you didn't have any of uh, the, the diseases of those who were around you. Now, this solves a problem archaeologically. An archaeologist, in moments of honesty, if you ask him, what's the big problem in your mind of biblical archaeology? He might say to you, the absence of real evidence of the exodus. You see, you move that many people across the land, you, there's got to be evidence of it. Well, what do archaeologists study? Garbage. Ruins. There's no garbage. God had even given them specific hygiene things to do so there wouldn't be any evidence that they were passing through the land and there were no shoes thrown away, no clothes thrown away. Everything was preserved. So, ta-da! And he gave them manna every day. But we had manna yesterday. Well, is it, does it taste bad? Oh, no, it tastes great. But we had manna yesterday. Are you healthy? Well, yeah. But we had manna <laughs> yesterday. 
But he didn't abandon them, you know. They were a complaining bunch. And the manna didn't quit until after they crossed the Jordan. Interesting. Well, they go home with riches because they have helped their brothers. They have part of the plunder of the land. Now, let's kind of kick into the New Testament right quick and hear Jesus say, if you want to find your life, lose it. Now, I know God thought that up because I never would have. I think the perfect American bumper sticker says, he who dies with the most toys wins. Now, how do you determine if someone is rich? I used to uh, often have foreigners come and visit us when I lived over in the Los Angeles basin, and we would always give them a ride through Beverly Hills. Oh, man, look at those mansions. Wow. What would it mean to live there? But then you think, why do they have walls around it? Because they're afraid you might want it. Well, then they're not really rich. They're miserable. They have no friends because they, how can you know who is your friend? He may just want what you've got. And there are people who actually believe that if you follow the Lord, you're supposed to be rich in gold and things like that. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think in a physical way, he's talking about spiritual riches in this day. And how do you get there? And how do you know when you're rich? It isn't by what you possess. Jesus said that. Life does not consist of what you possess. But he says, if you want to be rich, let me put it in Gail Irwin's words, the way you get there is you bless other people. You make life better for other people. Oh, really? But if I'm making other people's lives better, who's going to make my life better? (laughs) You know? He that tooteth not his own horn, the same shall not be tooted. You know that, don't you? (laughs) But you see, it was that attitude that kept the original children of Israel set free from going into the promised land. Now, though, it's a whole different thing. We're not going to rest until the brothers are at rest also. I used to go to Zimbabwe every year, and I, and I loved it. I, I, would, uh, I almost learned Shona. I could pray in Shona. But they have a greeting over there that I really liked. Uh, they would say Mamguanani, and that's kind of a way of saying good morning. And they'd say, Masqueda say, in other words, did you sleep well? And the other person would say, Indorada, Masqueda wo. In other words, well, I slept well if you slept well. Because <laughs> if you didn't sleep well, I didn't sleep well. And then the other person would say, Indorada, Indorada, you know, and they, okay, I slept well, then I slept well too. Okay, all right, all right. And I thought, that's a beautiful way of saying, I'm really concerned about how you slept, you know. And this was the kind of thing that God's trying to teach them in a physical way that your real wealth will come when you fulfill what God created you to be. And your body's not going to rest until your whole body is at rest. Now, we have all the evidence of that that we need. I don't have to ask you to raise your hands as to how many of you at this particular point have a place somewhere in your body where you're experiencing pain. Right now, it might be your ears. (laughs) But these pains, you know, 
keep us from being at rest. And, and things like that happen in these bodies. And so we work to bring our body at rest. Now, you go to the New Testament and you find Jesus saying something so familiar to all of us in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment. See, the commandments of God are really important. But he says, I got a new commandment for you. And it really kind of overrides everything else because, you know, love God with all you got and your neighbor is yourself. And you know what he says? On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, that is what the Bible is all about. So you want to master the Bible? <laughs> love God with everything you got and your neighbor is yourself. But Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Which, by the way, was not a strong point with the apostles. They were much better at fighting with one another. They fought all the time. They argued all the time. We would never do that. We're better than that. And they argued over who was the greatest. And so this was a whole new thing for them, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you love one another. Now, he had loved them by being servant-hearted and other-centered. I don't have time to prove that to you, but I can. And he had loved them by being the true servant, the true other-centered one, which we see the precursor here of you can't rest till your brothers rest. In fact, he says, this is the way my kingdom's going to be identified. This is the way the world's going to know you belong to me, that you have love one to another. But then, interestingly enough, you go over to John chapter 15, and, and what do you hear? Jesus is teaching them once again these very important things. Actually, this is part of what we call the upper room discourse. It is a magnificent series of teaching. It's the last chance he has to do this, the night of his betrayal. And in verse 9 of John 15, he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. So abide in my love. In other words, just hang around and make yourself as at home in my love. And then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. As I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, we got a separation here. The Father's commandments and the commandment of Jesus. And he says, now, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now, if you had a choice between being full of joy and just flat out loving life and on the other side being wealthy in this world's goods, what would you pick? Would you rather be wealthy and miserable or joyful? In loving life? It's a good question, isn't it? What did Jesus want you to have? I want you to have joy. And I want it to be full. I want it to be complete. How do you get there? He says, well, let me remind you. This is verse 12. I'm adding those words. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, here's what he's saying. You want your joy to be full? Got to love each other. Little story here. Back in the 1940s, there was a psychiatrist who was making some real strides in understanding. And the reason I know that is because he was moving towards Scripture. He didn't know that. 
but I knew. But he died before he had had a chance to complete his studies or before I had a chance to meet him and tell him, hey, you're really close to Scripture, guy. And you know what he came to the conclusion of? That mental health is totally dependent upon right relationships. If all of your relationships are good, you are a healthy person. If your relationships are messed up, you are a messed up person. That is so true. And this is what Jesus is saying. You want your joy to be full? Hey, love each other. Oh. Now, next Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, my wife and I are going to celebrate, at least I'm going to celebrate, 50 years of being married. Thank you. It's amazing what my animal magnetism can produce. (laughs) Now, the men wouldn't laugh at that. You ladies do. But you know, in 50 years, there are are moments, you know? What can I say? And when we're out of sorts, I'm worthless. I go to the office and I put paper clips together. (laughs) And then I take them apart. (laughs) Until finally, you know, I go home and admit that I'm wrong. (laughs) We're back in good fellowship and relationship and everything is right with the world, you see. I can, at moments in my thinking, you know, I, I go back and uh, I've, I've had a wonderful life. God has blessed me like I can't begin to tell you. But if I just let my, my mind roam, it'll go back to some places where I feel like, you know, that relationship is not right. I don't know if I'll ever be able to make it right. Isn't that something how that bothers you? And Jesus says, I don't want that to bother you. First of all, I forgive you But right now, I want you to love one another. Wow. Because that's where joy is. As you bless others and give your life away, that's where you find the joy. Is this clear so far? I want to add one more thing to this that I find so fascinating. In the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, you know that story. Jesus has uh, been informed that... Lazarus, his friend, was dead. He knew that already. In fact, when he was informed that Lazarus was sick, he just hung around for a few days and didn't go visit Lazarus. What kind of a pastor was Jesus anyway, you know? He's sick and you didn't go visit him. But finally, he says to the apostles, Lazarus is dead. Let's go visit him. And so he gets there, you know, and Mary and and Martha are upset at him because he didn't get there in time, and so Lazarus is dead. But uh, in verse 34, he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept, and the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, 
take away the stone. Isn't that interesting? To the friends of Lazarus, he says, you take away the stone. Don't you think he who created this earth could have said, hey, I'm going to show you something here. And he could have pointed at that stone and it would go poof and disappear. See, I would want to do it that way. (laughs) But no, he says to the friends of Lazarus, you roll the stone away. And in a sense, this is what happens when we are coming into someone's life in a beneficial way and freeing them to begin to get honest about their need for God. We're rolling that stone away. And of course, Martha had a very realistic view of this. Already, he's thinking. But that didn't seem to bother Jesus. And then he says, Lazarus, verse 43, come forth. Wow. Only Jesus could do that. I've heard, and you know, you've probably heard this, that he had to say, Lazarus, come forth, because if he'd have just said, come forth, the whole graveyard would have got up. (laughs) But I could have been out there yelling, Lazarus, please come forth. Please, Lazarus, this is embarrassing. Please come forth. And he wouldn't even have come fifth. But you see, he says to the friends of Lazarus, you roll the stone away, and then Jesus does what only Jesus can do. And now Lazarus comes out of the tomb, and he's wrapped, you know, in in grave clothes. Thump, thump. (laughs) Probably thinking, I feel like a burrito. No, that's Southern California. Cheese steak, okay, whatever. And once again, Jesus speaks to the friends of Lazarus. You unwind him. You loose him. Isn't this interesting? Of the three things that happen here, two of them he assigns to the friends of Lazarus. In other words, it's your job to be a loosing, a a healing, a, 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 a finishing person in the lives of your brothers. I'll bring them alive. I'm the only one that can. But you roll the stone away. And you loose them. Now, if I were Jesus, you know, I kind of like the dramatic sometimes. I would have grabbed one end of of his grave clothes (laughs) and said, hey, you ever want to see a human top? Zing! But here again, what we see Jesus saying to us is the joys of your life are not going to come because of what you possess, but of how you bless. And when you bless other people, when you start thinking, man, I, I, can, I can do something for someone else, beneficial. I can make life better for someone. Then your life is filled with joy. Now, let me tell you this. You know, uh, sometimes you kind of come to church and you get tired of it. Now, don't raise your hands or anything. You know, kind of routine. We get up, we have to fight traffic, I have to get reasonably dressed. I can't come in my pajamas. And uh, I might miss part of the ball game anyway. And, and, and it's easy to get jaded sometimes and think, well, you know, especially in a crowd this big. And sometimes you think, well, you know, going to church just really isn't what it used to be or something like that. And 
kind of get tired and maybe lackadaisical about coming to church. But this isn't church, you know. This is just a, a gathering of saints. Wherever you are is where the church is. And here we just get together to worship as a body and to, and to hear the Word of God taught. But you, if this building didn't exist, you would still be the church. So what makes church really a joyous thing? Well, if all you do is come and sit here and say, Okay, it's been a tough week. The devil has tanned my hide. I need a blessing. Okay, Pastor Fotchett. <laughs> bless me. You have 20 minutes to bless me. If you don't bless me in 20 minutes, there's another old manufacturing place somewhere around here. Folks, that's a miserable way to live because it's just like the children of Israel were when they didn't enter into the promised land. You know, bless me, I don't see this for me. But man, let me tell you, folks, if you really want to be blessed, then the way to get there is to bless other people, to give your life away. Well, all the jobs here in church are filled. No, remember, this isn't church. This is just a gathering of his church. There's a world out there desperately in need of people who love and care. And that's where your joys are going to be. I'm going to make life better for my brothers and sisters. Even, and you know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands here, but one of the things that we fight most in this country is depression. And depression by its very nature, and I'm not being condemning here, please don't misunderstand me, is basically self-centered because we're thinking about how things are happening to us and how things aren't nice and right and so forth. And I've had occasion to deal with this not only in my own life but in the life of a number of others. And in every case, if I could just get them to bless others and start thinking about how can I make life better for others, it's like healing is almost instant. Because that's the way God has designed us. You want to find your life, give it away and bless others. You can't rest till your brothers are rested. You can't be whole until you try to make the body of Christ whole. And it isn't just the pastor's job to do it. Each part of the body is a healing part of the body. Is this clear? You got it? All right. Mary Barrett, where are you? There you are. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Gail Irwin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Gail's teaching ministry by visiting servant.org.